So Sunday, we were in uh, John chapter 18, and uh, we were focusing on how um, the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they um, encountered Judas, and they encountered Roman troops, they encountered the Jewish officers, and a huge group of people, a great multitude. And uh, there was interaction there between Judas and Jesus and um, Peter. And um, Jesus was arrested. And then we kind of focused on Peter's denial. And so I intentionally skipped over verses 19 through 24, and that's kind of where I want to pick up tonight and focus on um, John 18, 19 through 24. And so I'll read it first, and then we'll, we'll kind of look at it. Uh, verse 19, the, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, Caiaphas, the high priest. So, so we see Annas um, questioning Jesus about the things that might implicate him. If you could think about if you know what happened, so they this crowd basically took Jesus to Annas's house, and Annas was the previous high priest well the the roman government basically um took annas uh dethroned him off that high priest uh situation and they put they appointed caiaphas as the high priest and so but the the jews were they they were used to annas being the high priest and so they had the relationship with him so right off the bat the Jews took Jesus to Annas' house for questioning initially. And so, verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And so, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get him to implicate himself into something that they can charge him for because that's what they were after. What did the Jews want to do the whole time that Jesus was was teaching among the people, they were offended by Jesus. They wanted, to, they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted him out of the picture. And so they had to try to come up with some charges um, because the, the Jews did not have the authority to kill Jesus. And so they needed the Romans to, to give the authorization for that. So... A little background there. So Annas is questioning Jesus about things that might implicate him. And so he's not, you know, Jesus is not going to 
say that. And so, you know, the Jews, they, all they want to do is they want to get him for blasphemy, basically, and, and they want him to perish from that. And so as you read the Gospels and read Jesus' story and, and what he did um, while he was on this earth, he basically created an uproar with the people that were around him, and especially the Jewish people. They were, they were, um, they were highly upset with the things that they were saying, and he was creating an uproar. And so when I think about that, think of Jesus creating an uproar, I think of myself and the moment that I became saved. And so my question for you tonight is, has Jesus caused an uproar in your life? And um, when I think back about the time that I was on fire and saved, from that moment on, he's caused an uproar in my life. And I'm so thankful for it. And um, he... The, that's the crazy thing. If you, if you give your heart to Jesus, He, He's coming to you, and He's gonna He's gonna do the work in your own heart as well. And so He's gonna create an uproar in your life. And so when Jesus is alive in you, you feel it. You feel Him alive in your heart. And so it is. Uh, it's a great thing to have. So yeah, Jesus caused an uproar back then, and He still does. And I'm excited about that. And. Uh, if you feel dead, then maybe you need to think about some different, different things that you're doing with your relationship with Jesus. Um, verse 20, Jesus answered him. So this is his response. He says, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret, I have said nothing. So it's, it's interesting. So basically he's saying, whatever I've said in secret, I've also said in public. And, and nothing that I've said is any different than what I've always said. So he's not trying to overthrow. You know, they, you know the word is that he's the king. And so, you know, there's, there's a concern that he's going to overthrow something in some secret motive they've, he has. Well, it's, that's not why he's why he was there and so it's interesting that he echoes god's words in isaiah if you turn to isaiah 45 verse 19 isaiah 45:19 says this i have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth, I did not say to the seed of Jacob, Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, and I declare things that are right. I love that. Um, and then turn to Isaiah 48, verse 16. Come near me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. So the point that he's making is that he's never spoken anything in secret that, that he wouldn't be saying in public. And his message is the same. 
And again, I have to think about my own life because that's what we do. We match God's word with how we're living. And um, am, am I doing the same thing? Do I say things in private that I wouldn't say things in the public? And, uh, and so it's, it's easy to fall down that, uh, that, I guess you could say, the, the quicksand of that. Um, I like uh, in um, Ephesians 4.29, it's a good reminder for me, and that's, this is kind of the verse I thought of when I thought about this and, and uh, was kind of matching it up with, with myself. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers, that it may impart grace to the hearers, the things that I say in secret should be the same that I would say in public. Uh, integrity. Um, I also like James 4.11. James 4.11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and the judges and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is no one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so I kind of talked a little bit about that Sunday, about how easy it is for us to um, pass judgment on things. It's just kind of a, I don't know what it is. It's like a, it's a human flaw that we have. And it's, and to have the heart of Jesus, I, I think about that when I'm thinking this certain way. And I think to myself, well, if Jesus was standing here looking over there, what would he be thinking? What would he say? What would he go do? And I just want to slap myself in the face. It's like, come on, make me more like Jesus. And so in spite of myself, I, it's frustrating. And I know that we all as humans have to deal with that. But um, if we continue to talk about it and hold each other accountable a little bit, then, then maybe we will kind of get there one of these days. Um, let's look at verse 21. So Jesus continues on. He says, why do you ask me? Ask, ask those who have heard me. Have who, ask me. Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So it's it's interesting they ask this question because none of the Jewish leaders are confused about what Jesus was teaching because he openly taught in the temple and he was he was open to what he taught. Everybody knew what Jesus was was talking about, and so. His remark is basically a, it's a it's an appeal to fairness. It's it's uh, it's again them trying to have it implicate himself, and he's just sticking up for himself. Um, yeah, he's he's chosen to submit to the arrest, but he's making it clear that their claims are false, for sure. And so that's what he's saying there. And in short, he's basically saying, "We'll we'll prove it. Prove that I'm saying." Uh, something that I shouldn't be saying. And of course, we see there in verse 22, 
And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Which I think is really ironic. Um, so a blow to the cheek in those days was, was a severe insult um, during those times. I think it still is today, right? <laughs> if I smack you in the cheek, you're going to be insulted. Um, yeah, that's not ever any fun, I'm thinking. The crazy thing was that what's ironic, too, is this was the beginning of the abuse that Jesus took until he was crucified. Um, this is the first thing that's he talked about. Um, but the officer accused Jesus of disrespect to the high priest, but Jesus didn't curse anyone. He was just, he was, he was just trying to, uh, you know, speak the truth. And, um, he was simply defending himself. And the crazy thing is, is little did the officer know that he just slapped the real high priest, right? And so it would have been interesting if you could go back and really think about what he did after maybe he found out. Um, turn with me to Hebrews 5. And we're going <clears> to <throat> read verses 1 through 11. Hebrews 5, 1, 11, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion for those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. So basically saying, he's saying the priest is, is, is for the people, and he's, he's to... Uh, intercede for the people and verse 3 says because of this he is required as for the people so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins and no man takes this honor to himself but he who is called by God just as Aaron was verse 5 so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest but it was he who said to him you are my son, today I have begotten you, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Very interesting. Um, and then Hebrews 7. We'll start in verse 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he 
is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? He is our high priest, sinless. Um, I love that. Back to John 23. Jesus said, Jesus answered, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? And it's, it's interesting here how Jesus refers to the law back in Exodus. If you look at Exodus 22, Exodus 22:28 verse 28 You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people and so I feel that Jesus was referring to that cuz he then that's basically what he was saying he says like he he didn't curse anyone if I have spoken evil bear witness of that evil but if well why do you strike me He's still continuing to defend himself in a truthful manner. Um, and then the crazy thing, too, is, is uh, thinking about this. Like, if you think about where he's at, Jesus is being drugged to somebody's house at night. You know, there's he's, all of a sudden he's in, you know, he's being held in, in, you know, a, a kind of a makeshift trial, I guess you could call it. He was being questioned. He was being asked to implicate himself. And basically, um, you know, interrogating anyone in a private home at night without notice of a prior hearing or, or uh, preparing for that was, was totally illegal. So you could see they were, they were trying to implicate him in a in an illegal way just to get himself to to um, say that he was, they were just trying to get him on something, what he was guilty of. Instead, they just lashed out in violence, which was the beginning of the, again, of kind of what he had to deal with. Um, looking in verse 24, then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So remember, the Jews had the relationship with Annas. And so when, when, um, when they were done with Jesus there, then they sent him to the real high priest, which in Annas was his, or Caiaphas was Annas's uh, son-in-law. And so 
but before Jesus can be brought to a Roman governor, charges again must be confirmed by the high priests who, who that was Caiaphas, and he, and he presided over the Sanhedrin. You know, I was growing up and and uh, you know trying to understand God's word. There's a lot of stuff that you know we don't really understand because we're not back. We didn't grow up in that uh, that type of setup. And so when you hear Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin and all these different terms, it's like it's kind of mush in your brain until you really seek it out and like get it right in your brain, kind of figure out what what is. And so the Sanhedrin is basically the, um, the political Jewish people, but it's a group. It's a, the Sanhedrin is made up of 70 men, and the high priest is, is presides over the Sanhedrin, the leader, and that, that was at the time Caiaphas. And so the 70 men were made up of, of uh, priests and elders and teachers. And so it, not all 70 guys were there at, at Annas's house, but it takes 23 uh, decisions or 23 people to decide um, something from the Sanhedrin to make it legal or not. So they had to have at least 23 people. And um, so, in this, again, the Sanhedrin lacked the authority to put Jesus to death. And so they had to drum something up. And so they had to like I said, try to implicate him into something to where that they could take him to the Romans and say, look, we're charging him for this. He's guilty of this. And then they talk the Romans into okaying or authorizing this death. So, um, and then they also needed witnesses. And so you had to have two witnesses to verify that the, what actually happened was truth. And so without the two witnesses, you basically had nothing. So it's interesting how we see that in John, the, and it's, it's crazy how the different gospels report different things. And so in John, it just talks just a little bit about that, what happened at Annas's house. And then all it says is that he was sent to Caiaphas, the high priest, and then if you look down at verse 28, then he was led from, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. The Praetorium was where the Romans were. And so, but, there, but John left out this, this, what happened when they delivered Jesus to Caiaphas? What happened there? And so we don't see that in John. It's kind of interesting. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke reports what happened at Caiaphas, is very, which is very interesting. So let's go look at that. Let's go to Matthew 26. So if you think now, um, there, Jesus is done. They're, they're taking him from Annas' house now to Caiaphas' house, which Caiaphas basically had a mansion, and he was in cahoots kind of with the Romans too, so I think there was a relationship there, just kind of studying it out. But what happened at Caiaphas' house? Well, let's look at verse 26, uh, Matthew 26, 
57. Uh, no, that's not even close. Um, that would be stand by. No, that's right. Matthew 26, 57. Jesus faces the Sanhedrin. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council salt sought false teachers or false testimonies against Jesus to put him to death. So remember, they're looking for two people to say, I'm a witness of, yeah, I saw Jesus do that. So they're looking for two people. Um, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of, the, of, of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palm of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And they said that because he had a bag over his face or, or a towel or something over his face, and they were hitting him, and they were saying, Prophecy, prophecy who hit you? It's, it's yeah, it's... it's uh, it kind of blows you away. It's, it definitely works on your heart when you think about what the Lord has done for us and what he went through. Um, and just to close, you know, there's a, um, there's a purpose that Jesus went through that. He, he submitted to that. It was God's plan. It was God's will. But he had to go through the process. And it's interesting, too, if you look at, prophecy how it all lines up and all adds up to actually the actual things that actually took place and so again you know when he reminded peter i have to drink this cup this is for me this is i have to go through this and so i think about um what does that mean to us today what's the takeaway for us right now and i was kind of moved by a, a devotion this morning um, it's in Second Corinthians six, and um, 
I feel the Lord gave me this this morning. Second Corinthians six two. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And so I think about that, and I basically what it is is like today is the day of salvation right now. There's an opportunity salvation for salvation, and, and why wait? Why wait for salvation? Today is the day for salvation. It's interesting that it's a limited time offer. You know, we hear, uh, we hear the guys on the radio, limited time offer only. Well, salvation is a limited time offer for you while you're alive and take advantage of it. And I know most people in here are saved. You know, we're few tonight. And, but the burden should be on your heart to share the message, um, to share the good news. It's interesting. <clears throat> I, I work with a group of people and one of the guys, um, his, his parents got in a car accident just the other day and I was talking to him and I've talked to him about the Lord before and I don't believe he's saved yet, but he was telling me how he just couldn't believe it happened. You know, they got in an accident, the car flipped, um, his parents in the hospital, and he, he ended up, you know, they ended up, you know, I think she had a broken hip and a broken hand. And um, anyway, everybody got back home. He says, I just can't believe just how quick it could just happen. Just one minute, everything's okay, and the next we're gone. And I said to him, I said, I know, it's, it's, it is, it's crazy. I, we're not guaranteed anything. And in a moment, we could just be gone. And I said, that's what I love about having a relationship with, a, with our Lord and, and having eternal salvation settled in my heart. Because at any moment, yeah, we're toast. But you know what? Um, that feeling of security is huge, and we know where we're we, we know where we're going. We know where we're, we're headed. And so I think about that. You know, think about any one of us can have the same accident. And any one of our family or our friends or whatever. And so I feel like the message is, why are you waiting? And I know that's, I know it's a cliche. And I know we've heard that. Today is the day of salvation. But what does it really mean to you? And what are you going to do with it? And so anyway... We'll continue on. It's kind of an interesting time that, you know, I find myself here. Um, it's a, kind of the wrong time of the year to be that normally we don't hear these to this message. You know, it's uh, but it's interesting how the Lord works with you during devotion and he sets you down a path. And uh, it's opened my eyes to a lot. 